Welcome to the Power of Space podcast. My name is Ali Jafarian, and I'm your host. The Power of Space is a reflection of the total human experience from the lens of creators, leaders, visionaries, and other extraordinary people. We'll explore compelling thoughts, unique perspectives, and deep awareness around creating space in our everyday lives. These discussions are intended to ignite our natural curiosity and inspire us to realize new levels of personal transformation. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the content. Now let's create some space. Welcome back, folks. I have a very special guest today, Mr. Sachin Patel. I was just sharing with Sachin how famous his name is in the Jafarian household. He came into my world years ago uh, through some of his appearances in the Front Row Dads community, retreats, online summits, workshops. And not only are you very popular in that community, Sachin, in case you didn't know, but some of the things that you've taught or shared with us, I've directly translated into our home, which we'll get into in a bit. So Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming to space. And how would you like to introduce yourself? That's our theme on this show. Who is Sachin Patel today? Well, thank you, Ali. I appreciate our time together. And uh, I, I know there's lots of stories that uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about today. Thank you for sharing that story about you and your wife. It's an honor to kind of have you both try to figure out where you heard of you know, Sachin Patel. And it, it's weird to even hear that because you don't realize that these conversations are happening in people's homes. So I'm so humbled and honored and, and flattered, and I'm blushing if you can't tell. About me, I actually am very proud to say that I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And so I would say at the moment, I can tell you who I am. I think my most important role is, is being a father. Uh, second to that, and, and really in, in unison with that, is trying to be a good husband uh, to my lovely wife, Deepa. We just celebrated our 16th uh, wedding anniversary, so wow. we're... Wow. Pretty excited about that. And I think I, I think we've had less than 16 disagreements and arguments in that period of time. So we're two peas in a pod and, and we get along really well and we complement each other well. And we've done a lot of work to be able to do that on each other individually and on our relationship, because I believe that the things that matter to us the most, we get coaching and guidance and wisdom in from other people. So I feel like we've we've done that. And uh, I feel like I'm ever evolving. So the thing that's really getting my attention right now and is getting me in front of audiences is breathing and breath work. Mm. So I just uh, spoke at a dental conference about breathing and breath work. And I did two things. I spoke, I did a keynote there, and I also did a breath work experience. And both of them got a standing ovation. So to me, it's the universe's way of telling me, this is where I'm pointing you now. This is where I'm going to use you as a tool in in previous years. And still, I still do this. I still coach functional medicine and wellness practitioners and coaches. So I run a business coaching program for them. I'm also trained as a practitioner, obviously. And I also originally am trained as a chiropractor. So, you know, depending on how many layers we want to go back, I, I bring all of these modalities with me everywhere I go. So the chiropractic is a lifestyle, not just a procedure. It's a way of life. And I've adopted that in my life and in my son's life and uh, in our home life and the life that we lead when we we're not at home. The second part about being a functional medicine practitioner, you kind of take that everywhere you go as well. And then the same thing with being a breathing expert or student, I should say, uh, of the, the act of breathing correctly and breathing with awareness, you take that everywhere you go. So 
you know, what's cool about what I do is I take it everywhere I go with me. I try to apply it and, and bring that knowledge and wisdom to others and especially those that value and appreciate it. So, so yeah, that's a bit about me. Mm, I love that answer for so many reasons. I love that you started with the humility and awareness of like, I don't really know what I would label myself or what I want to do when I grow up because that lands so directly with similar feelings I've had, not just clarifying that to the world like I used to do, but being okay and just being like, cool, I don't really know. I'm creating these things. I'm putting them out into the world. I'm feeling more into energy than agenda and intellectual logic. So that is awesome. I also like that you started from the home first and talked about being a father, being a, a husband, and then moving into more of the professional world. Because a lot of times it's really easy for us to go right to the professional world. I was just thinking about this earlier on a walk this morning, Sachin. It's like, it's easier for the world to comprehend that. That's why we do it. It's harder for them to be like, wait a second, you're a dad and a husband, and you just did this amazing experience with breath work. And then by the way, you also built this impressive functional medicine business. People don't they don't like that as much. They want it to be easy. They want to just quickly get to like, well, what do you do for, for work? So thank you for, for such a thoughtful intro. You hit on several things that I'd love to explore with you today. The first, just because I think it lends well to giving people a little bit of context to your story, but also it's one of the things I will never forget that you shared early on is your journey into functional medicine. I rem And I'm going to completely butcher this and let you explain, but I just remember one of the first times I heard you speak, you gave this metaphor to the rapper Eminem, which I grew up listening to. And the way that you said it with such like pure conviction, I was like, oh, I am very interested to hear what Sachin has to say because of my history with with misalignment in healthcare, and then also you just instantly connecting to that thread. Does that sound familiar or is that a, a curveball at this point in terms of your memory? Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of Eminem and I'm, I'm wondering if it's the scene from eight mile where he's, uh, he's rapping against Clarence. Is that the scene that you're talking about? That's definitely one of them. And, and I think where the other thing I was trying to project through you from what I remember is I just remember you being like, I did my work. I was deep into the medical world. And then I realized this was not the path I wanted to be on. So like Eminem, I just started speaking my truth and said, mm -hmm. fuck this. I got to go a different way if I want to help people. Does that land or no? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that people may not know about me, and maybe you don't know this either, Ali, is mm -hmm. that uh, I actually retired my license when I turned 40. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So what uh, everyone needs to know is that the word doctor in Latin actually means teacher. And what happens is doctors become indoctrinated. They're essentially Manchurian candidates for big pharma, and mm, yeah. they do whatever big pharma tells them to do and whatever insurance tells them to do. So unfortunately, you have the brightest, the smartest, the kindest, the most empathetic people in society that are brainwashed into thinking that this is the way we heal people and that there's no other way and any other way as safe and as harmless and as effective it may be is not the right way. And we design science in such a way that disproves the other methodologies because we design science around a fragmented form of mathematics 
which actually breaks the mathematical context and structure of how the entire universe is created. So a really interesting fact for people is every the math system that we learn in school is called Euclidean math. Euclidean math is where one plus one equals two, and it always equals two, right? And there's only one right answer. And to solve any problem, there's always only one right answer. And when you start thinking about that and you start applying that metaphorically to the rest of the world, this is what causes wars. This is what causes one person being better than another person. This is what causes me saying that the only way to fix this problem is this one way. And this actually violates how nature works. Nature actually works on a fractal mathematic pattern. And so without getting too lost in the weeds, in a fractal system, there are actually infinite solutions to any problem. So this is how different modalities of healthcare can actually coexist. And mm. I don't have to be better than you to get the result. I can do something totally different than what you do because there's actually a multitude of ways. So this is where acupuncture can exist, where regular medicine can exist, where breath work as a tool can exist, where herbs can exist, where uh, homeopathy can exist, where reflexology can exist, right? Chiropractic can exist. All of these things can coexist and all of them can create the same outcome and effect, and they don't have to compete against one another, right? We can allow the person to choose the modality that makes the most sense for them and aligns with their greatest values. So when I retired my license, I realized that I could actually speak the truth that others either lack the courage to, to speak mm -hmm. or because their income depended on them towing the line. My income doesn't depend on me towing the line because I became financially independent from the system, right? See, most doctors are not financially independent from the system. So they right. rely on that government teat or they rely on that insurance teat in order for them to put food on the table. So once I learned how to be better at messaging and marketing and creating value for people, I realized I didn't have to rely on insurance companies. I didn't have to rely on the government, you know, to cut me a check every week or every other week or every month or whatever the cadence is, I could do that for myself and by simply speaking the truth. And then what I realized is that I could actually break the system by teaching people how to heal themselves. So instead of me saying, come see me, I'm the greatest doctor on the planet, uh, which I would never say, but I don't have to say that because you're the greatest doctor in your world in your life, there's no greater doctor than the very body that built you from two cells and is recreating you in this moment. You are being born and dying in this moment, every single moment of your life. There are billions of cells that are dying inside of you and they're being reborn. And in this moment, you have the opportunity to tell those cells exactly what you want them to do so that you can initiate your deepest healing. Like we all have that capability. So my goal is to now flip the whole system on its head and say, hey, you know, I can't fix you better than you can fix yourself. Let me show you how to do that. Let me show you, you know, what inputs you need to create in order for you to have the best healing possible. And if I want to go a layer deeper, I can decode your genomics and tell you exactly what to do, right? Just like if you're uh, a sports car and I'm an SUV, right? The basic rules of engagement, we have to follow the same rules on the road. But the parts that I need, the tires that I need are going to be different than the tires that you need, right? Mm -hmm. So genetically, we can go a little bit deeper and we can find out what specifically an individual needs, but there are certain inputs that human beings need. And that's what I teach people now. I teach people the simplest, easiest, 
freest way for them to heal and get healthy. And then that, you know, that vein of thought led me down breath work. And so it's kind of been a very fascinating journey because, you know, I was just recently in Italy, as I mentioned to you earlier, and, you know, Leonardo da Vinci is obviously from Italy. And what he says is the greatest sign of sophistication is simplicity. And so there's nothing more sophisticated that I'm aware of than the human body, which means that there should be nothing simpler to take care of. So what we teach people to do is actually embarrassingly simple. So I'm proud to say that healing and the deepest healing that we are after is embarrassingly simple. And unfortunately, people do things that are, in my opinion, embarrassingly complicated. And, you know, we will never match the complexity of the body. So I'll say this and I'll take a pause here. If you think about this every year, more and more research is being done, right? Every single year. And what is research? Research is asking a question to which we don't know the answer. So every year we actually know less because we're asking more questions, right? So the, the joke is on us that if we try to match the complexity of the body, there's nothing that we should be doing because we don't even fully understand the complexity of the body. But if I understand the simplicity of taking care of the body, then I don't need to know how it works. Just like you don't need to know how this microphone is working and how this monitor is working to use it. You just appreciate how simple it is to use. And the design takes care of the sophistication, just like our internal design, whether you're designed from the probiotic soup that some people believe in or by your creator's hand, then it doesn't matter. You're the highest, most intelligent form of life that we are you know, at least at, at this point aware of, and you have everything that you need to heal and repair yourself. Mm, dude, totally. Like, and I'm living proof of your living proof Institute in the sense that I've been listening. And again, my wife and I had the, the fun argument of like, well, Hey, who found Sachin first, right? Because your name comes up. I've been listening and practicing what you've been sharing to the point where I don't actually need to be with you, yet you're making a profound impact in my household, in my family's lives, in the lives that I, I touch. I'm gonna actually list a few things off just to give the audience an example. Like as we speak, I'm hungry. It's because I started fasting after I heard ways that you suggested fasting. I normally eat between 11 and seven. So I'm naturally hungry. After this, I'm going to go eat something and it's going to fuel my digestive system. I learned from you how to allow my digestive system to have a break. So I eat slowly and I eat in containers and I try not to snack. I also put mushrooms in my coffee in the mornings, almost every morning. So that's perhaps where maybe I cheat the fast, but I have mushroom coffee and I, I mix it up. So I have chaga, lion's manes, rishi, I like to get a variety and I don't do it with like a science where I know exactly what it's doing, but I feel better. And I remember as you were sharing some of the biological traits of mushrooms, I was just blown away. I was like, well, of course I want to put that through my system and be with that energy. You know, the other thing is light. So I love to brag or at least share the concepts that you've talked about with light and how we get different lights at different parts of the day. And it's just made it so obvious, so obviously simple, back to your word, to explain that to people and be like, look, this is how our ancestors evolved. There's blue light during the day, then the white light, and then we set with the, the red light, the fires. So not only has that touched us and been a part of, of how a family and I move through our day, but 
I very much tried to align my sleep with circadian rhythm. So again, just I'm grateful for your mission to empower people like me to do the things in a simple way, because not only can I do it, but then back to your point, it's so simple to explain to people. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, everything you're saying is giving me goosebumps. So my body's just like buzzing because, you know, and I didn't know this even before our conversation. So for anyone who's listening, right, right. this is like totally like Fresh. unscripted uh, <laughs> when I'm hearing this and when I'm sharing this back to you. So that's exactly our mission. That's exactly like what you said. It just filled my heart with so much joy because I want to hear more stories like that. I realized many years ago that there would never be enough of me to go around mm -hmm. and help people individually. And that's what I love about teaching practitioners as well is that, you know, once you have a powerful message and everyone needs to hear it, you have to quickly realize that you'll never be able to see individuals one-on-one -on -one to be able to share that with them. Right. And that's why I'm so glad to have like leveraged conversations like this, where you and I can have a conversation and hundreds or thousands, mm -hmm. maybe even millions of people into the future get to hear this conversation. So I love that we can impact lives, our team, our community, like yours, your family, the future generation to come. You're creating an advantage for your family that you know you would not have otherwise created. Maybe somebody else would have taught you this, but either way, we're all doing the same. We're, we're doing the work of our creator, right? It was, we're trying to create healthier individuals by teaching them how their body works. And whether it's myself or somebody else, I'm grateful that your family has this knowledge because that's how we can change the generation to come. It's not waiting until people get sick. The thing is like, you know, having a 13 year old myself, like I don't want anyone's child to wait until they get sick and then learn how to be healthy. What if they could just be healthy from the very beginning? Right. Imagine the world that that would create, right? Imagine the humanity and the species that we would get to enjoy if people are firing on all cylinders and everything's working in their body the way it's supposed to, you know? That to me is the world I want to live in. And the only way to create that world is not by waiting until people get sick and then having them do natural medicine, but it's by teaching them how to actually create health, not prevent disease. So the words that we use are also very important. Sometimes I'll explain to someone what I do and they'll say, oh, so you're into preventive medicine. And I'll make a very clear distinction that I'm not into prevention. What I'm into is creation, right? Just like, you know, if you put into the GPS where you want to go, you put the destination you want to go to, right? And then the GPS creates the path for you to get there. You don't put in all the places you don't want to go to, and then hopefully you end up where you want to be, right? So why do we have a health strategy that's preventative? Like how many different diseases are you going to try to prevent? There's 10,000 of them in the PDR, the physician's desk reference. So there's no shortage of things that you can try to avoid. But if you focus on health creation, there's only one thing for you to focus on and the beauty of that is, and the paradox of that is healthy people don't have these problems. And if they do encounter these problems then everything that they're going to do works better, faster, and more affordably. So you're a perfect living model and example and living proof, as you said, mm. of exactly what we want the world to look like. We don't need more hospitals. We don't need more doctors. We don't need more sachins. What we need is more healthy people and people who take ownership over their health, who value their health and realize that whether you like it or not, health will be the greatest advantage that you can give your child or yourself in the coming five years, right? So there's so many well-educated people whose brains just cop out at them when they're 40, 
right? Mm -hmm. They spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education and then they have brain fog when they're 35, 40 years old and they can't put two sentences together. I mean, if you don't know how to take care of this billion dollar body and no, nobody's going to teach you how to do it in the traditional models, right? So we're really trying to flip the, the paradigm on its head and our philosophy is the doctor of the future is a patient and we need more healthy people. And the goal is to create health, not to prevent disease. Mm, yep. I love that, ma'am. I love that. I will extend and sort of reinforce that as I've been practicing some of the things I've learned from you, I subscribe even deeper to the philosophy that there is no perfect health and wellness package or diet or system. It defeats the whole purpose. Like you're saying, it's like, I have to find my way. And the way has been with experimentation. The way has been like, how does my body respond when I do these things? Or mm -hmm. what am I adding or removing? I, I love that part of the functional medicine approach you take is tell me about your life. Forget about all these medications. Like, what are you doing? How much are you walking? What are you consuming? Are you sleeping? Because it's so easy to skip that stuff and go right to, well, you know, for three years I've had this pain and the doctor gave me this thing. And it's like, okay, great. So what questions did they ask before going there? What was experimental? So that's just ingrained in me now. I attribute that to you in some way, even though these are my choices. And I know that when people come with different ideals around like, oh, you got to do this diet. I'm like, maybe like, sure, you could try it and see how your body responds. But I very much let go of absolutes in health and wellness, at least for myself, because there's so many bright humans that are saying counteractive things. This is great for you. This causes cancer. You should do more of this. You should never do this. And I think it all comes back to that's complicating things. It's a lot more simple. It could just be lean in, go into things that you kind of trust and then experiment and figure out what works, what doesn't. I want to get into the breath work though, because you've mentioned that. It sounds like that's in focus for you. I've had some really interesting experience with breath work. It's also a place where I'm seeking deeper mentorship and learning the art of being able to hold breath work space with other people, with my family, because I've only done it as a participant several times. And it's been extraordinary. It's been extraordinary for helping me tap into deeper emotions for me to get into like altered states and it's just blows my mind because again, it's simple, it's free. We can access it whenever we want. So speak a little bit to that. Where are you at with breath work? Like what's, what's interesting and fascinating to you in that world right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things that I wish I had learned is, and even taken it seriously is about breathing. Mm -hmm. I think at some point in our lives, we all hear, you know, cliches, like take a deep breath, it's almost like so simple. And that's the thing, right? It's so simple that maybe that is the actual answer. So what I've discovered kind of through this exploration of spirituality, of, you know, functional medicine, of functional biochemistry is that the breath controls all of those things. So the breath gives us access to our spiritual body. It helps us improve our physical body, and it also helps us improve our mental capabilities and, and mental health and mind as well. So it's one of those things that kind of taps into everything. And what's really neat about it is the conclusion I came up with is that the, the breath is the steering wheel of our nervous system. 
And our nervous system is the steering wheel of our life. So if we have a well-balanced, well-regulated nervous system that is firing on the correct cylinder, so when you're digesting, it's sending blood to the digestive system. And when you're in fight or flight, it's sending blood to the arms and legs, and there's an appropriate balance in it and resilience in it. That's when people are healthiest. So many times what we don't realize is that there's something that I call beyond breathing, right? All of us are breathing. We haven't stopped doing it for more than five minutes. Otherwise, chances are we wouldn't be here listening to this conversation or having this conversation. So we've done it our entire lives and it's never failed us. However, it's kind of like having a steering wheel on a car, but the steering wheel is missing. Imagine having a Ferrari and the dealer is like, hey, we got this car, but there's no steering wheel on it, right? I mean, as tempting as it might be, you would probably never buy that car. And certainly you would never take your family for a spin in that car. Right. And that's how I equate to people who are breathing unconsciously. You've got this Ferrari with no steering wheel. And what that means is that there's all this potential. Imagine living this long and not knowing that you had this capability and now being able to tap into it to regulate your hormones, to regulate stem cells, to increase cancer fighting properties, to actually improve our facial structure, to improve our sleep, to improve our sexual health, to regulate our body temperature, to improve our immune system. I mean, all of these things correlate back to how we breathe. And in fact, we kind of know this already. Hey friends, this is a quick break to tell you about something new I'm offering called the Space Self-Discovery Immersion. This is a unique six-month program that combines tools, exercises, and personalized one-on-one coaching with me. The program is designed to help you find clarity in who you are, how you operate, and what makes you come alive. This self-discovery immersion is a reflection of my own journey with some of the best resources and insights I've learned as a coach. It can help you rediscover your unique gifts, help you break through your biggest challenges, give you a deeper sense of awareness and purpose, and ultimately, help you realize your most authentic self. That's what it's all about, getting back to who you are at your core and living your best life. If this speaks to you in some way, please reach out. I offer a free alignment call to discuss your curiosity, and I'd love to hear from you. So what's really interesting about breathing is that we can have an emotion and our breath changes. If somebody's really upset, they start crying. Crying is a form of breath work. If somebody is feeling air hunger, they yawn, right? If you say something funny, somebody creates the emotion in their body and then they start laughing. Laughing is a form of breath work. If somebody feels a sense of relief, they produce the sense of relief and they sigh. Sighing is a form of breath work, okay? So there's breathing signatures that we have that are created in response to the emotion being generated in our body. So the breath actually assists in creating the feelings and creating the physiology. Well, here's what's interesting. It actually works as a two-way street, which means that I can actually lean into a certain breathing style to create the emotion. Mm. So I can sigh intentionally and deeply, and I can create the emotion of relief because emotions are just chemistry. So I can create that chemistry and physiology and breathing signature in my body, even if I don't have that emotion. So you could put somebody, uh, and you could even, you even see this happening where somebody just starts laughing, right? You don't even know why the person's laughing, 
but they're giving off such a strong breathing signature that you start laughing. Right. 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 When somebody starts crying, other people start crying, right? Because they're giving off that breathing signature and it's powerful. It has like a resonant effect in the people around them. So how we breathe is something that is in response to or is can can be used to create a certain feeling in our body. And once I learned that, I was like, oh my God, like I can decide how I want to feel at any given moment if I can identify what these breathing signatures are. So we teach people exactly how to, to tap into those things. And that's a fascinating thing. You can use breath to regulate your body temperature. You can use breath to balance the hemispheres in your brain and balance the brain so you're not, not just left brain dominant or right brain dominant, but your brain is balanced. So you can do you know better creative work and create better focus for yourself. So there's all these things that I picked up along the way. And in addition to that, you know, not only does it affect those things, but how we breathe also affects our facial structure. And so teaching people how to breathe correctly changes the shape of their face. Uh, when I work with families, you know, I save them tens of thousands of dollars in dental bills by teaching their children how to breathe. You know, the number one cause of cavities is actually mouth breathing. Believe it or not, it's not sugary foods. I mean, sugary foods don't help, but if your children or adults are breathing through their mouth, it's going to cause cavities. It's also uh, one of the things that uh, it causes attention deficit disorders. So disordered nighttime breathing is actually a common culprit in kids who have ADD and ADHD. So focus, right? And the same thing applies to the adults, right? Adults may not get the diagnosis because they don't have to sit still in a classroom, mm. but uh, how they breathe also impacts them. How we breathe at night impacts our health, right? So snoring is a form of dysfunctional breathing and that can elevate inflammatory markers in our body. It can accelerate the progression of Alzheimer's. Snoring is the number three cause of divorce. When people snore at night, they actually increase their blood sugar. So they're breathing in a fight or flight manner, which means now their body stays in fight or flight. So their steering wheel is steering towards stress instead of steering towards relaxation and repair and regeneration. So all these things are tied to breathing. And it's, it's so obvious, right? When you hear somebody say it, but it's something that very seldom actually gets discussed. That's exactly where my follow-up question what comes, Sachin, is like, why do you think this has been so overlooked? Is it just that we've been too distracted to come back to the simplest thing that, again, as I continue to learn from you, I'm like, holy cow, like some of that, those things are fascinating. I didn't realize breath facilitated or was involved in some of these things. So I feel like we're talking about more breath work now, today. And do you think that we've just forgotten these like timeless principles or is some of this new where it's like, holy cow, like we're learning new things about breath. Well, I, I definitely think that there's a few things at play and some of this is theory and some of this, you know, is kind of my speculation. I think when we think of breath, we think of uh, an Indian man, you know, who looks like a vagrant in a robe. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so <clears throat> I, I don't think that breath has had its Western representative, mm. right? Somebody who makes it fun, somebody who makes it cool, somebody who explains it in a way that really lands for people and it just hits home and it makes it unforgettable. And I'm hoping I'm that person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to get on uh, as many stages as I can because I feel like I have a way of explaining it that 
helps it land for not only the practitioner, but also the lay person. And I th- I feel like my background it really informs me to talk about the anatomy. I used to teach head and neck anatomy, so I'd have to dissect the whole head every trimester and then teach students about the head and neck anatomy. So I've got like the background there. I'm a recovering snorer. I, I cured my own snoring and I created a whole program around that. As a chiropractor, form and function are very important to us. As a father of somebody who's had a lot of dental work and as the husband of a wife who's had a lot of dental work and we've done a lot of discovery through this process. And you know, I've been on retreats with James Nestor. I've interviewed him a oh, couple of cool. times. Okay. So I feel like I have like the recipe to be that person to kind of bring this to the masses and share this as, with as many people as I can. So I speculate that part of it is that because when people hear it, they are absolutely blown away. Right. And I'm just like literally just scratching the surface of the surface with what I'm sharing with you. It's remarkable how it's connected to everything. And it's like truly, truly the holy grail, right? So it's free. Yep. The results are instantaneous. Mm-hmm. You can never forget it. You'll have it the rest of your life, right? You never have to buy it. There's no renewal. There's no subscription fee. There's none of that, okay? You can teach it to others. And it's something that, is the lead domino for all your biological processes. So breath is the bridge between the sympathetic dominant state that people live in and the parasympathetic state where all their cells, organ, tissues, and systems heal simultaneously, right? So the holy grail, like what we all want, like you wouldn't go to the doctor and say, hey, just heal this part of me. Mm. You would say, can you heal every part of me at the same time? And the doctor would say, well, I'd have to give you like a ton of drugs to do that. And that would just simply poison you, right? There's like nothing that a doctor can do to heal every single cell, tissue, organ, and system in your body. Mm -hmm. But you actually have a built-in mechanism that does that. It's called your parasympathetic nervous system. And your parasympathetic nervous system essentially sends the majority of your blood flow to your trunk organs. When somebody's in fight or flight, they're sending blood away from their trunk organs to run away from something that doesn't even exist, right? Most of our stress is actually not a physical threat. It's a emotional or psychological story or threat that we keep telling ourselves that may or may not even exist, but the mind doesn't know any different. And that's a blessing and a curse, right? The mind, you know, what we think shows up in our physiology. When we think positive thoughts, I mean, the positive outcome of that is that we get better physiology. And if we think negative thoughts, then it drives us into a fight or flight physiology. And fight or flight takes the blood away from our trunk organs into our arms and legs. And then that essentially results in these organs going into a suspended state of animation. Think of it this way. When you're in fight or flight, there's an 80% decrease of blood flow to your digestive system. Mm -hmm. When you're in fight or flight, 90% of the blood flow that's going to your liver and kidneys now goes to your arms and legs. So all the healing mechanisms of detoxification, of elimination, of digestion, of assimilation, right? All of those functions become dysfunctional because they're not getting the nutrients. They're not getting the blood that they need to function optimally. So when we work with people, we work on pairing their breath with the activity, right? So if you're running away from a lion, it makes sense to breathe like, (laughs) right? But if you're sitting at your table, obviously that's not a good way to breathe. You would want to breathe the opposite way with your mouth closed, tongue at the roof of the mouth, 
breathing in through the nose, nice and slow, breathing out through the nose, nice and slow, right? That creates an opposite shift in our physiology. You know, we take about 23,000 breaths a day. So it's the thing that we do the most that we can actually consciously override. Every other process in our body, like our resting heart rate, our cell metabolism, mitochondrial metabolism, all of those things, we don't have direct regulatory control over. The breath is the thing that we literally control with our mind once we have mm -hmm. the awareness to do that. Yeah, see, and this is exactly it. Like I said, it's it's actually hard for, for me to, <laughs> to hold space with the podcast because like I'm in straight learn mode, like student <laughs> mode. You know? So like balancing like, oh my gosh, that's amazing versus, wait a second, there's other stuff that I want to ask him about. But that's exactly why I get so much energy from learning from you, why I wanted to have this discussion with you. I want to connect some of these profound breath insights to the gut, because you mentioned the gut. And that's something that I've been paying more attention to that wasn't even on my radar years ago. So you could take that anywhere you want, but perhaps what would you share with people just as like highlights? Because I know we could have a whole podcast about the gut health, microbiome, all that stuff. But what's important for people to know at a high level, the same way that you share these things in such simple and powerful form? Since you bring up the word microbiome, let's go further up. And so our digestive system actually starts in our mouth. And that's like the first thing that people need to know is any open orifice in our body has its own microbiome. Our skin has its own microbiome. It's exposed to the elements. Different parts of our skin have different microbiomes, right? So you have a different microbiome in your groin than you do in your armpits, right? Hopefully. And uh, you have a different microbiome in your mouth and you have a different microbiome in your nose. You have a different microbiome in your lungs. You have a different microbiome around your eyes. So there's different microbiomes. And these are basically a, a collection of bacteria. So the bacteria oftentimes are not a problem unless they're in the wrong place. Mm. Okay. So the bacteria from your anus is fine. If it's around your anus, it's not going to cause a problem, but if it's in your mouth, it's a problem. So bacteria have function but if they're in the wrong place, they cause a problem. So the mouth and the nose, while you can breathe through both of them, one is designed specifically to perfect the air that you're breathing, the nose. The nose pressurizes the air, it moisture regulates the air, it temperature regulates the air, it physically cleanses the air, and your nasal mucosa produce something called nitric oxide. If you have the right oral microbiome, the bacteria help you make nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a vasodilator, so it increases blood flow. People might hear of nitric oxide as a pre-workout drink. Beets, for example, increase nitric oxide, and that's why people will take it as a pre-workout. Uh, nitric oxide dilates blood vessels. It kills viruses and bacteria on contact, so it's a natural disinfectant. That's why when we breathe through our nose, we actually kill bacteria. When we breathe through our mouth, our mouth is filled with bacteria. Our mouth is the dirtiest part of our body. So we're breathing into our lungs, that dirty air that's filled with bacteria and particulate instead of actually breathing in cleansed air if we breathe in through our nose. So when we breathe through our mouth, it destroys the oral microbiome. And this is why cavities are primarily caused by breathing through our mouth instead of breathing through our nose. When we breathe through our mouth, we dry out the saliva. That changes the oral microbiome. That uh, causes gum disease, oral health diseases, cavities, and it also prevents the production of nitric oxide. So how we breathe changes our oral microbiome. The gut microbiome 
is when our food goes down into our digestive system, then we have a microbiome that's down there as well. So I want to talk about the five C's of digestion. Yes. I think this is a, this. Yes. <laughs> I think is a, a good, good place to talk about that. So a lot of people will come to us and they'll have seen many specialists, gone to many different practitioners, perhaps tried many different diets. And I'll look at what they've done and I'm like, okay, like this should have worked for you. It should have done something for you. And then the first question I started asking people and I ask them now is not what they're eating, but how they're eating. Because we all know people that eat garbage and they're just perfectly fine. And you're like, how is this person eating healthy, organic stuff all the time? And the other person is eating garbage and they're totally fine. And the person that's eating healthy has all, all these digestive issues. How does that make sense? So that kind of perplexed me a little bit. So we came up with these five C's for people to focus on. The first one is you want to choose. So choose the right foods for your goals, right? We want to choose whole healthy foods that are not inflammatory, that are as uh, close to their whole food source as they possibly can be, foods that we can recognize when we look at them unprocessed, whether that's plant-based or whether that's uh, non-plant-based, I leave that up to you. I'm vegetarian, but I don't project that belief system onto anyone else. I believe that I'm on my own spiritual journey. You're on your own spiritual journey and mine doesn't include animal protein. Everyone's journey is a little bit different. Okay. So we choose the foods that align with our values. We choose the foods that align with our goals and our objectives in our health. Next, we choose a time of day to eat, when to eat and when not to eat. As you've indicated, fasting, right? So eating within an eight hour window or so, fasting for a 16 hour window. Okay, so that's a great way to you know keep your digestive system working for a certain period of time, but then more importantly, giving it a break. That system needs a break, and I don't feel like we give that enough of a break sometimes. So choosing the window of time to eat, and this doesn't even mean changing the amount of food that you eat. It simply means changing the time of day that you eat. Digestion is typically strongest midday, and then we want to try to avoid eating two to three hours before bed if we can help it. Okay, so narrow eating window is a great way to focus. Next thing is we want to choose how we feel about our food. So you should feel grateful for that food. You should feel grateful for the love that went into that food. You should feel that that food is going to nourish your body. It's going to fuel your body, right? It's more than food. It's more than the ingredients. There's an energy to it. And so you want to choose how you feel about that food. You know, we live in the first time in human history where people complain about eating healthy, right? Like go figure. It makes no sense. Right. So choose how you feel about the food and then choose how you want to feel after you have that meal, right? Sometimes we are so caught up in that immediate gratification that we receive, that hit of dopamine that we receive from the food, but ask yourself, how will I feel after I eat this meal? You know, human beings are actually have a neocortex, which allows us to think into the future. This is what separates us from a lot of animals on the planet is that we can think into the future. So use that part of your brain and decide how you want to feel after you eat this meal. And if it's going to make you feel good about yourself or not so good about yourself. Second thing is to chew. So you want to chew your food uh, like your life depends on it. We all are aware that the price of food has gone up significantly. As much as the price of food has gone up, that's how much more you should be chewing your food. Mm -hmm. okay? You just extract more out of it when you do that, especially plant-based food. So if you ever look at... Uh, a piece of lettuce under a microscope, what you'll see is millions of little cells. And these cells are all covered and coated with something called cellulose. 
And our human digestive tract lacks the enzyme cellulase to actually break open the cell wall, which means that if you were to swallow a salad, you would poop a salad the next day. You actually lack the ability to digest through that cell wall. So chewing that food is going to be even more crucial because that's where all the nutrients are locked up. Otherwise, it's just expensive fiber that goes right through you. Wow. Yes. We want to chew our foods. Chewing our food also helps us taste our food. Tasting our food helps our, our brain tell our digestive organs how much fat, protein, and carbohydrates it can expect. This is why artificial flavors are very problematic because it tricks the digestive system into thinking something's coming when it's actually not coming. Okay. Mm -hmm. Artificial colors are also a problem too, because the color of food communicates to our brain what type of nutrition we're receiving. Different compounds in nature, like reds and purples and oranges and yellows, represent different nutrients. So when we're looking at a bowl of Fruit Loops, if it has the same color as a salad, the color is the same, but the actual data that's going to be received, the information that's going to be received, there's a mismatch. So artificial colors and flavors are really a problem because it tricks our senses, which then tricks our digestive system into creating the wrong response. So that's an important thing that often gets overlooked. So we want to really make sure we're chewing our food, we're tasting it better, we're producing the enzymes that are required. There's a reflex that also occurs. When we chew, we actually increase stomach acid production and we go into a more parasympathetic state. The art of chewing actually relaxes us. Chewing also helps us produce more saliva. So if somebody's finding that they're drinking a lot of fluids with their meal, getting them to chew their food will help them moisten that food and it'll be easier for them to digest it. If we drink too much liquids with our meals, it dilutes the enzymes that our stomach is trying to make. So stomach acid is about a million times more acidic than your blood. So it takes a lot of energy to make stomach acid. If we consume excessive amounts of fluids, then we're diluting that enzyme. And so then our protein may not get digested as thoroughly. When food gets into the stomach, the purpose of the stomach is to disinfect the food and the stomach acid is responsible for that. So stomach acid helps digest your proteins into amino acids, breaks them down into amino acids, and it sterilizes the contents of the food from parasites and bacteria and pathogens because we don't want those getting into the small intestine. Food sits in the stomach for about two hours to three hours, depending on the person. And then once the pH drops down, the stomach gets acidic enough, then the trap door opens up and then the pancreas and the gallbladder can do their job to help digest the carbohydrates and fats further. So we want to make sure we're chewing our food. The next thing is chill. You want to be in a relaxed, calm state. Never eat standing. That's like the rule in our house. You should mm. never eat standing. You should always eat in a seated position because that activates your spleen energy, which helps you digest better. Think about it this way. When you're sitting, you feel more relaxed and you feel more calm, right? Sitting is a safe position. You only sit when you feel safe. So sitting uh, when you eat is huge. Moms are not very good at this. Moms will oftentimes be running from the stove to the dinner table. They're throwing food in their mouth. And even though they're eating healthy, they're not sitting down and being conscious of the state that they're eating in. Because remember, we want to be sending blood to our digestive organs. If you're standing and walking around, where are you sending blood? You're sending it to your legs. And it makes sense for you to send it there, but it's got to come from somewhere. You don't just magically make more blood when you need it. It's got to come from somewhere else. And usually that means the trunk organs. Next thing is you want to cherish. So cherish is to 
be grateful for that meal, right? Grateful for all the people that had to put their hands and effort into that food to bring it to your plate, right? Not just the person that made it or plated it for you, but you know, all the people involved in growing the food, packaging it, shipping it, delivering it. I mean, there could be hundreds of people involved in that process and just giving grace for that and gratitude for that, I think goes a long way. And it gets us even deeper into a state of awareness and being present to what's happening. And then the last part is to check. So we should be checking our stool on a daily basis, looking for any strange discoloration. So if the stool is a really light, like clay color, that could be a sign of low gallbladder function or low bile production from the liver. If the food is undigested in the stool, then that could be a sign of low pancreatic function or a lack of chewing, right? So if you're still wiping your kids behinds, pay attention to their stool and show them. If you see like bits of undigested food in there, like my son, he wouldn't chew his food properly. It turns out he had a malocclusion but we'd see huge chunks of apple in his poop and it would just go right through. And I'm like, dude, that's an organic apple that's in there. And you got virtually no nutrition out of it because it went right through you. So teach them from when they're young. So they know to pay attention to their stool as well. Look for blood, obviously bright red blood usually indicates a bleed in the lower GI tract, a dark stool or a black stool usually indicates blood higher up in the digestive tract. So pay attention to that. Your stool should not have a very strong odor. Of course, it's going to smell, but it shouldn't be uh, terribly strong. And your stool should be like a, a chocolate brown color. So that's kind of uh, maybe TMI, but I guess important information for people yeah. uh, to pay attention to. And then, you know, the the last thing is I would say that on an annual basis, it's probably a good idea for people to just get a functional medicine practitioner do a stool test on them because the stool test will tell them if there's anything that they need to pay attention to. A lot of times you could have pathogens and parasites and not even know, and the symptoms don't show up until much later, unfortunately. Wow. See, this is like, I had heard the five C's before and I talked about them, but I'm relearning. I'm, I'm hearing some new things in there. I was blown away actually by some of the things you said about choosing because it goes well beyond just choosing the food. Like you said, choose when you eat, choose how you eat. And then just going into the rest of the seas, I've practiced all of these. And I even catch my wife sometimes. She's notorious for just, we could say, clowning burritos. Like she loves burritos. And it's like before I, I look up and she's done with the burrito <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it, there's an aspect of, it's almost like I sense sometimes such a mom with people that they, they use eating as a chore or mm-hmm even a sport or a task, something that needs to get done. Whereas since I learned about the five C's from you a while ago and, and continue to expand upon them, I've been trying to be a lot more intentional about eating, being a practice and being as conscious as possible, not just of what's going in and how, but I'm going to sit down and be with this food. Cause I, I think that's a really important piece amongst all the other, you know, insightful things that you shared and even the check i think the check is important too i have questions around that but like funny questions because the color of my son's stool the other day but i will reserve those so thank you for the five c's i love that you brought those up i have one last thing i wanted to pick your brain on and that lands as it has been a challenge in my life so there's totally some selfish projecting here of wanting to learn and see if I can have such and solve another problem. <laughs> but there's also some things that I'm observing 
I've observed in my kids who are five and seven. I observe in other kids. And the topic is around sugar. Okay. It's arguably the most addicting thing in my life. I've had a relationship with sugar for a while now. I remember picking up many years ago, back in college, this is like 20 plus years ago when I stopped smoking cigarettes. And it's almost like it became this thing, more of a mental addiction that, okay, the food is over. I replaced the smoking at that time, but now it's almost um, a habitual thing where I kind of look to sugar after a great meal. Or if I get a little restless, sugar feels like a way out. And, and I, I think that could be a whole nother discussion. The last thing I'll say too, before I, I digress for you to kind of share is that I notice that my children, as they're exposed to sugar, especially, especially processed sugars, it's what they want. So it quickly becomes the choice, even though we introduced it sparing, like we don't have soda in our house, we don't have cereals, but when they have these things, it's like, they light up and then they become these very, they really desire them. I was going to say they become these really needy creatures that want that. And we have to play the whole game about honoring your body and making decisions, which at five and seven, sometimes I don't think they care. They're like, fuck it. Give me the, give me the cookie. Like, I'll just take it. I don't care if I'm going to be healthy. You know, so there's that whole game. So coming back, my question becomes, what are the things we should pay attention to around sugar? Like the deeper knowledge that just aren't being talked about. Yeah, great question. So I feel like whenever there's uh, sugar involved, there's oftentimes some sort of emotion involved that goes along with it. And so it's not uncommon for us to soothe our children uh, with sugar, right? So uh, a lot of times, uh, some of our greatest memories are surrounded by sugary treats or you know, events in our lives are often celebrated with uh, sugary treats. So I feel like there's oftentimes some emotional component that goes along with that uh, craving for sugar. And that's something that, you know, definitely may need to be unpacked for some people. People may also know this, but it's worth mentioning that when you look at our brain on cocaine and you look at a brain on sugar, it kind of lights up the same areas. So this creates an intense dopamine rush and dopamine rushes feel good. They're usually very short lived, but you know, dopamine is our neurotransmitter that moves us into action. It keeps us focused and it helps us feel a sense of reward. And what happens is sugar nowadays doesn't require any action, right? You don't have to go out and, and, and hunt for it. You just take it off the shelf or out of the pantry. It doesn't require any focus. So there's really no goal setting or achieving that's taking place there. And we instantly move to the reward part where we get that uh, intense pleasure that we experience. So it, it kind of short circuits our brain. That's why it's really hard for children because they don't have a very developed prefrontal cortex. And I would say some adults don't have a very developed prefrontal cortex. So it really starts with education. It starts with us role modeling this to our children. It starts with us not bringing these things into the house in the first place. So that option isn't readily available to them. Uh, and it's also about education. So I remember when my son was young, I still have this video. It's the cutest video. And we were in Whole Foods and they have the bulk snack section. And we came across gummy bears. And I mean, like, who isn't like at least visually attracted to gummy bears? And he's like, dad, can I have these? 
And, and I said to him, he was, he could read at that time. And I said, well, how much sugar does it have? And uh, he's like 29. He's like, oh my God, 29. That's a lot. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, if it was like less than five, then you could have it. No problem. Right. And so then he got it and he simply walked away from it. So I didn't have to say no to him, but I gave him kind of parameters. Right. So sometimes it's hard for us to say no, but if we give conditions under which they can have it, then you're never really saying no, you're never really the bad guy. So it's like the food becomes a bad guy, not the dad. Mm, yep. Right. So sometimes it's a matter of like in our household, it's, it's like reframing. And I'm like, Hey, if you want this, here's the conditions under which you can have it. Here's the thinking process that you want to go through to decide if this is good for you or not. And so from the very beginning, one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of my mentors is never treat your kids like kids treat them like adults. Mm -hmm. And if you realize that there are adults who are watching and copying everything that you do and say, then it, it, we hold ourselves uh, to a higher standard. And so I like to articulate my thinking process to my son. So he understands the logic that's going through my head to come up with the yes or the no, is this good for me? Am I going to consume this? And then if I give him that framework, then he can apply it when he's making a decision as well. So I, I've taught him how to read labels in the very beginning. He's been gluten-free his entire life. And he's just a remarkable kid. He's not perfect by any means. That's not, uh, I don't think anyone is, and that's not the goal. The goal is that he's aware. So he's aware of what's right and what's wrong and you know, how to come to an informed decision when it comes to what goes into his body. So it's never too early to start. Agreed. Not just you know, tying it to some of the emotions and the rewards and, and the celebrations that map back to our relationship with sugar, our memories of it. But then the way that you've modeled for your son, the way, like, I, I love how you said you've given him the parameters. We did something similar in our home where my wife and I realized the stress, the constant demands around the simplest things. Like, can I do this? Can you do this? Can I have this? And a lot of it would be like, things we didn't want to say no to like, Oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Or can I do some educational iPad today? Cause we don't allow that every day. Mm. And what we came up with is exactly what you described, which is we just posted on the fridge. Here's a schedule. This is what's for breakfast these mornings. This is when the days that you can have educational iPad time, et cetera. So it's exactly what you've done with sugar, which I'm totally going to recreate. <laughs> it's just like, look, we've got a threshold. Like if there's five grams, six grams, whatever the threshold becomes, then you can choose and make your decisions and, and feel how your body responds. But if it's 29, then you already know that that's well in excess of the threshold. That's so beautiful. I will say too that, again, it's, it's been a powerful um, shift in our parenting and our energy. There is a certain stress that Gabrielle, my wife and I have felt with saying no a lot. It weighs on us. It doesn't feel great to say no all the time. Like it's one thing if it's just really in misalignment with our values, but when it's like these little things that either we can empower our children to do, or that it's just already known that that's, that's a no. And I don't want to have to say it again. I don't want to feel guilt or feelings around no, no, no. I think that's powerful. So thank you for mentioning that. Thank you for everything. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm lit yes. up having this discussion with you. I generally have a few quick fun fire questions to end on. Are you game for that? I'm game. Let's go. Awesome. Okay. First one, what is your favorite food? 
Ooh, great questions. I'm going to say right now, my favorite food is a enoki soup that my wife makes and it's absolutely delicious. So it's enoki mushrooms and this delicious miso broth that she makes with uh, rice noodles. It's amazing. It's to live for. Sounds amazing. Wow. Okay. Beautiful. Number two, what animal would you be if not human? Oh, great question. I like whales. Ooh. I yeah, I think I'd be a sperm whale. That's a great answer. I just started asking this question, Sachin. I used to ask people what animal they're most scared of, which has, has its own energy. But this one is interesting. I got a bear recently. A whale would be a really nice creature to be. And they're so intelligent. I feel like whales are one of those species we just still don't know that much about. Uh, sperm whales are really cool. They're one of the deepest diving whales. And they have this interesting way of communicating with sonar and they're able to communicate through thousands of miles of ocean water. So it's pretty remarkable. In fact, the vibration that they create can actually kill a human being. Wow. Yes. I knew about the sonar. I didn't know that. That is fascinating. Whales are also, my kids just love whales. We've watched a lot of documentaries learning about different whales. So very cool answer. Last question. What's one of your favorite childhood memories? I love that. You know, one that comes up for me, that always comes up for me for whatever reason is, is holding my grandfather's hand and him taking me for a walk every day. So he used to love walking and uh, he'd go for a walk every single day. And I still remember that feeling of kind of reaching up to his hand because I was so small and I just felt so loved and so cared for and so taken care of. So that memory always comes up for me. That is beautiful, man. It's a beautiful memory. It's a beautiful place to end. Thank you, my friend, for being here, for creating this space. Um, thank thank you. you for impacting our, our home, our lives, and continuing to speak. Because I think, if nothing else, the way that you show up, the way you simplify health and wellness, and all the other things that you share is contagious in the way that I think we need contagion. We need people to talk about this. So not only do you shine this energy and light into the world, but like you said, it was part of the mission I heard earlier. It's like, you're allowing us to not need some of these traditional forms of healthcare, which is powerful, man. So I appreciate you. I hope this is one of, of many conversations to come. And thank you, brother. Thank you. It's my honor, my pleasure. And what a privilege to spend this time with you.